This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. So, Matthew chapter 13. It's been a long chapter and it has been absolutely loaded. It's, uh, we've concluded already the series on the parables that he taught. And we're almost at the end of the chapter. Let's actually get past all of the parable stuff. So we talked about, we talked about the parables of the kingdom as seed and then the parables of the kingdom as growth and then the parables of the kingdom as treasure. And so you can kind of see how they all how they all blend together or they all fit together almost like puzzle pieces so that the kingdom of God can be understood to be a seed, first a seed planted in the heart and the mind of a man and then growing into a tremendous treasure within the heart, mind and life of a man and woman. It's, it's not differentiated. It's just as much for one sex as it is the other. And that's another wonderful thing about Christianity. It was one of the first equality religions, you could actually call it. Yes, no kidding. Because Judaism had descended, not because of the religion itself, but because of the attitudes of the people. Judaism had descended into uh, rather, or, or the, Judaism had not. Judaism as it had become practiced had descended into kind of a sexist way of life. It really had. Uh, women were not really allowed to or encouraged to buy and learn sacred theology. They weren't really encouraged to do that. It, 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 raise your hand if you ever saw the movie Yentl. I know that's an obscure one I just threw out there, but it was big when it was new. It was in the early 1980s. It had Barbara Streisand, I think, played a lead role in it. I know that's a real turnoff right there, but... Um, it involved uh, a story about a young Jewish girl that didn't want the traditional Jewish role, and so she dressed up like a boy, went off to a rabbinical school, and I don't remember how the rest of the story goes. But one of the scenes from that movie that really stood out was, or in that story that stood out was, you know, the book peddlers would travel from town to town, and they would sell, quote, sacred books for men, picture books for women. Does that give you an idea what the thinking was like? It's like, I don't know if they just didn't trust theology in the minds of women or what, but you know, women are perfectly capable of learning spiritual things. Would to God that they all learn spiritual things because then they would know what they need and how they need to be and live their life just as men ought to just as well. But the word of God, excuse me, the kingdom of God all throughout these parables, you can see how they are all these things. They begin as a seed and then they grow if they have the right environment and if they have everything that they need, which is up to us to make sure that they have us and God working together. And then they grow in our lives. They become a tremendous treasure that benefits us and benefits everybody else who is willing to be benefited by it. So that's a big takeaway on these parables alone. But then we go to verse 51. After he finishes dealing with all these parables of the kingdom, he says, Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Yes, we have. We've understood everything that you have taught us. And that's a blessing. And then he says, 
Then, or then the word says, Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And we're going to park on this verse for a few minutes here because there's a big lesson here. Reverend DeRyder and I were actually discussing this within the last couple of weeks. I don't remember how deep we got into it, but we talked about it a little bit. Every scribe. Now he's not talking... He's, this is still kind of a parable, but he's not addressing it as a parable, and it's not a parable about the kingdom. He says, every scribe. All right, well, who are the scribes? We've talked a little bit about that, and we read about them throughout the Gospels. The scribes kind of get a bad rap, but not all of them were bad. The scribes were the primary teachers of Jesus' day. If you had somebody who was teaching multitudes of people or classes or groups of people. It was probably a scribe that was doing it. He may not necessarily have been a priest because priests were born, not made. They were all born of the tribe of Levi. A scribe could be, uh, we presume, from any of the other 11 tribes as well as the tribe of Levi. And so a scribe was one of the teachers of that day. They were the principal teachers of the law and of Judaism. He says, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now this, this pertains mostly to those in some kind of a ministerial role, whether a pastor, a preacher, a teacher in any capacity, including a children's church or a Sunday school teacher, anyone who is instructing someone else in the word and in doctrine. doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's licensed or someone like that, but it's anybody who's fulfilling that role. He says, every scribe which is instructed under the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder. It's a wordy way of saying every scribe instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a householder. It's like somebody who owns a home. And if, and if he owns a home, he probably has a garage. And if he has a garage, it probably isn't used to store his car. It's prep like it was intended to. It's probably used to hold all of the junk that the rest of his house doesn't have room to have, right? If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. Liars. You know what I'm talking about. We don't park our car in our garage because it's tiny, but also right now it's being used as a workshop. And when it wasn't a workshop, then it was it was a detached storage shed. And every house we've ever had with a garage always turns into storage. And that's just kind of how it turns out to be. You have a house and you have too much stuff in it, you have to put it somewhere. Why pay why pay money every month for someplace off site if you can just jam it in your garage and then let your car get ruined by a hailstorm? But a householder that has a treasury, that has a storage shed or a warehouse or something like that, and every now and then he switches things up. But there's a connotation to this. It's not just uh, bringing forth out of his treasure things new and old for his own enjoyment. He knows what he has, probably, at least to an extent. Maybe he's absent-minded and he finds something in there's like, oh, wow, I forgot about that. I forgot I had, I've had that for 20 years and haven't seen it in 10. But... It's the context here is someone who's bringing forth things out of their treasury, things new and things old for the delight. And I hate to use the word entertainment, but in the context of this verse, it's not bad or wrong for the entertainment of his guests. Is this starting to click now? 
So let's try to put it together a little bit more. Every scribe instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like a man, is like a householder who brings forth things out of his treasury, things that are new and things that are old, implying that he has company, that he has guests there, that he is entertaining and that he is showing and that he is uh, spending time with because that's what good friends do a lot of times is, is they spend time with one another so that you're not all work and no play and then your whole life is nothing but a long face. Did you know that fellowship is a wonderful uh, recharge to your batteries? It really is. When you're all work and no play, you that's really just not a fun life. There may be seasons that are like that and they have to be that way of necessity, but fellowship is a good thing. He describes every scribe instructed in the kingdom of heaven as a householder bringing things, bringing things new and things old out of his own treasury for the entertainment of his guests, for the delight of his guests, maybe even for the instruction of his guests. Well, whose house are we in tonight? We are in the Lord's house tonight. And though I am not the householder, this is God's house. We you can see how these uh, metaphors overlap. It is the responsibility of someone instructing others in the gospel and in the word of God and in the kingdom to be bringing things out of the treasury, both new and old. And you could describe that as old truths presented in new ways, because the truths don't change. The word of God does not change. Neither do we change the word of God. It says what it says. And if we start monkeying around with that, we are doing so to our peril. We're like, what was his name back there in the Old Testament? Was it Uzzah? Uzzah who put forth his hand to stable the, to, to steady the ark and the Lord smote him dead because of his audacity and presumption in touching the divine when he was, it was not his job. And they were doing things all wrong and jacked up anyway. And it was just, it was a situation that was just ripe for something to go wrong and it did. We start, any minister, any preacher, pastor, or whatever, they start messing with the Word of God. They're taking a privilege or they're taking, um, they're taking an authority unto themselves that is not theirs. Period. End of story. We may be part of the body of Christ and we may in our best times possess the mind of Christ. Hopefully all of the time possess the mind of Christ. But if we start thinking that we can change it because we're part of the body of Christ, that okay, well then I'm... Because people think this way sometimes. They really do. And I'm thinking of one particular group, but I'm not throwing stones tonight. I'm not trying to go there tonight. We start changing the Word of God to make it easier to swallow for some. We're in the wrong. We cannot do that. We don't have the right and we don't have the authority to do that. We have to present it as it is. We can teach it, we can explain it, we can bring in metaphors, and we can, uh, we can uh, uh, apply it to modern scenarios and modern situations that we all face in this life, but we do not have the authority to say, well, I think that this entire teaching is outmoded, so it's not for us today. If I do that, first, pray for me. If I do that again, run for the hills. Really? Find yourself a church that's going to preach and teach to you the truth. If that man back there does it, come talk to me. But I don't think he's going to do that because I know where he was taught. And we had a lot of the same teachers. We went to the same school. So take that as you will. But everybody who ministers from the Word, teaches from the Word, is like someone who is bringing out treasures from the Father's treasury and presenting that to those that are in the house of God for their edification, 
for their benefit, for their good, and it's for all of them. Reverend DeRyder benefits from the preaching and teaching of this church. So does his wife. So does my wife. I benefit from it. Reverend DeRyder preaches. I've gotten things from his message that were timely and that were good. And so there's the teaching to be taken right here from verse 52. Every scribe instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And there's two key words that I want to apply to this, okay? Speaking of bringing forth treasure, things new and old. Abundance and variety. We have 66 recognized, canonized, if you will, documents that make up the entire Bible. from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And they are everything from books of history to... Uh, uh, I hate I hate calling them books of poetry, but they're written in a poetic form. So there's some of that in here too. Some, not much, but some. But books of history, books of poetry, books of prophecy, all of the letters of the New Testament. Uh, the Revelation, which is kind of a standalone, although that's a book of prophecy also, but it kind of stands in a class by itself. Uh, there's all kinds of things in this. And they were written by many different people over a span of thousands of years there is no end. There is no practical end to the variety in the Word of God that can be drawn upon. We've even preached a couple times out of the Song of Solomon, haven't we, Rev? I'm like, whoa, what's the Song of Solomon? Go read it and you'll understand why I'm, I'm saying that that's remarkable. Because the Song of Solomon is basically uh, an Old Testament love song. Yes, no kidding. Not in the tradition of Isaac Hayes or someone like that. Don't really never mind, let's just leave that alone. But but that's there also. And there's spiritual value to be to be gleaned even from that, or else it wouldn't have been preserved all of these years. So abundance and variety. We strive for them both. I mean, we're having service and study like four nights a week on a regular week, aren't we? You can't preach the same message over and over and over and over again when you're having that many services because people get tired of hearing it after a while and they want to hear something different. And it came to pass, verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, He departed thence. And when He was coming to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue. Now, let's act, let me slow this. Let me not rush through this, okay? Verses 54 through the end of the chapter. When He was come into His own country... This was the land he came out of. Right? Well, he came out of Israel, right? Or Judah or whichever. Yes, but when he came into his own part of the country, you could say. When he came into his own hometown, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, his, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Well, there's a few things to take out of this. First of all, did you notice them mentioning all of his natural brothers and sisters? Your Virgin Mary didn't stay a virgin. Because there are some groups that think that she's remained virginal or something like that. It's like, no, she was legitimately lawfully married to a guy named Joseph. And after Jesus' miraculous virgin birth, then, didn't the angel even say, hey, Joseph, don't be afraid to go be a husband with your wife now. He said, trying to be delicate. You, it's okay now. Alright? 
And then he did. And then they had several more children. That was a perfectly lawful marriage. It wasn't some weird celibate marriage, okay? Neither is a, is a, a lawful marriage in the eyes of God expected to be celibate. Where do you think kids come from? They got to come from somewhere and storks really don't bring them. Sorry to, to, to wreck that fantasy, but they just, they don't happen that way. A man and a woman have to do something. And then a few months later, you have joy along with it. And so, but so yes, they had other children. But the point of it is he went to his own country where he had just as much validity, just as much authority. He was just as much the son of God where in the land that he grew up as he was anywhere else. But he attempted to teach them. But you see, here's the problem. They knew who he was when he was six years old. They knew him when he was 10. They knew him when he was 15. And that affects people's judgment. When people know you or are too close to you or remember what you were like in your old life, perhaps, or remember what you were like when you were a child, they don't always want to hear spiritual things from you. They don't because their judgment has been affected. They don't view you in the light of a leader or a teacher. They view you in the light of, oh yeah, you're that seven-year-old that busted out my windows when you were playing t-ball in your backyard and you swung it too hard. That's what they remember. They remember you as the terror that TP'd their front lawn on Halloween or whatever it was you might have done when you were younger. Let's read through this whole thing. They said, is this not, from verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things to teach us? Whence does this guy come in here like he knows something to share with us profound and enlightening truths from the Word when all we wanted to hear was a nice, calm, routine, Sabbath day sermonette? It's kind of the unspoken part that's in here. And verse 57 shines some more light on it. And they were offended in Him. That's what reveals their true mindset. They weren't open to Jesus' teaching. They were offended. Why were they offended? They knew the child Jesus. And so this guy was like, who's this guy coming up in here telling us how to live? I imagine, and it doesn't say so, okay, but I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a large leap to, to imagine that his own Sabbath day teachers, if you will, were in that congregation, old men who remembered him as a child. And maybe some of them had the attitude of, this kid used to question my teaching when he was in my Sabbath day class, and now he's coming in here teaching me? Is that, is that a very large leap to make? I don't think it is. I'm not saying it definitely happened. I'm not being dogmatic. But he came back to his hometown. And hometowns then were a lot like a lot of small hometowns are today in that you know the apples and the acorns and whatever don't fall far from the tree. And children tended to stay, tended to stay pretty close to home. And, and, and generations of family were within close proximity of one another. Well, they were offended at the teaching of Jesus. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And while that's not a very deep teaching, I'd say that that's an arrow that smacks right in the bullseye of the target. Prophets always had honor. 
but never in the place where they came from. And the reason for that was because the place where they came from had all the people that remembered what they were before they were a prophet. And so they just don't have the credibility or the respect or whatever. And that's no fault of the prophets. It's just the way that a lot of people are. So why am I not a pastor in the city of Omaha or of Colorado Springs? Because I came from there. And there are people there who knew me. Now, it's not so big of a deal nowadays if you come from a city of a million plus people because 99% of the people in that town never met you or knew you a day in their life. But So why doesn't Reverend Ryder go and pioneer a church back in his hometown? They know him there. <laughs> and how many were in your hometown, sir? 2,200 people. I'm pretty sure it'd be a lot harder for him there than it would be for me in Omaha. But there, the lesson there isn't just for ministers. It isn't just for preachers and pastors and such as that. It's also just for, for believers and church members who then try to bring the gospel into the, into not, they can bring it, they can bring it into their immediate family. They're under their own roof, right? But the moment they try to bring it to their siblings or their parents or their aunts, uncles, and grandparents, then you have the same effect a lot of times. Who's this guy? I taught you how to eat without getting peas in your hair. And you're going to teach me about the Word of God? Who do you think you are? They don't, they're not always that blunt and hostile with it, but the emotion is very common. Not always, but usually. Usually a mother or a father doesn't want to hear it from their son. Like, man, I changed your diapers. And you're going to get on my case about X, Y, or Z, even when their son isn't getting on their case or just trying to share the Word of God with them out of a pure heart. My brother made that mistake with my mom once. I'll never forget that. That was long ago in the 1980s. Didn't go over too well. But uh, it recovered from it in time. No worries. But what's the lesson there? Don't be surprised if those closest to you in your sinner days are not impressed with your attempts to reach them with the gospel. It doesn't mean don't try. It just means don't be surprised if they stiff arm you or if they uh, treat you less than honorably as a result. And so what was the result of that? Well, the result of that was in verse 58. It said, and he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. That was the real problem. Well, why did they have unbelief? Because they remembered Jesus when Jesus was a child. They worked with Joseph. Maybe they bought a dining room set off of Joseph the carpenter. Maybe he was a framer. I don't know. We don't know what kind of carpenter he was. But he worked with wood. Maybe they bought something from Joseph. Maybe there had been a deal that had gone sour. I mean, you can run away with it with your imagination. We don't know anything about Joseph beyond the beginnings of the gospel. Maybe Joseph turned out to be not so great a guy. We really just, we just don't know. We presume that he made it to heaven, but we don't know anything about him. We read more about Mary than we do him. And so maybe there was a bad taste in people's mouths from their dealings with Joseph or maybe other human failings that were involved there also. We just don't know. But we know that the result of their over-familiarity with who Jesus was was that they did not believe and because they did not believe, He did not do many mighty works there because they were not open 
They were not receptive. And so what did Jesus do? Dust off the soles of his feet and he moved on to the next town. So let's actually, let's go to chapter 14 now because there's, there's more lessons to come. Now, the first, the first several verses of this is a historical account. There's nothing, there's nothing about Jesus. It deals with John the Baptist, but we have to read through it because of what Jesus did as a result of it. So let's go ahead and start it and we'll see how far we can get. It says, verse 14, verse, or chapter 14, verse 1, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show them, do show forth themselves in him. So right off the bat, Herod the Tetrarch, who was the local regional ruler of this area, although he was also under the thumb of Rome, Right off the bat, he's got the wrong idea. He thinks that John the Baptist has been reincarnated as Jesus. An absurd notion because John the Baptist and Jesus were alive at the same time and their ministries overlapped. So he's already working off of, uh, he's already working off of a false presumption. Verse three, for Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for Her- um, Herodias' sake for his brother Philip's wife. Herodias was his brother Philip's wife. For John had said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. In other words, Herod was involved in an adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. And John jacked him up for it. John had rebuked him for it, said it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Verse 5, and when he would have put put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias, his lover, the daughter of Herodias... Uh, danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she asked. And she, being before instructed of her mother, and her mother was Herod's lover. I think I've got this all straightened out. Love triangles get nasty complicated, don't they? Don't deviate from what God planned. It keeps your life a lot simpler and happier. There's one lesson you can take from that. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she asked. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. It was a container. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake. And them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. So because this whole thing was a setup, these people hated John the Baptist because John the Baptist taught and preached against the ruler's adulterous wickedness and told him not to do it. So he threw him in jail to shut him up, but he didn't want to kill him. But the women that he was involved with and or the woman he was involved with and her daughter were even more offended at this matter. And so they demanded the man's death. Women can be vicious, can't they? Men can too, yes. But sometimes you cross a woman, they will not forgive you until your head has been lopped off of your body. They want blood. They don't want an apology. They want you dead. There are some men that are like that too. But that was the case here. And so the king, though he was sorry, he went ahead and commanded it to be done. Verse 10, And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. That was the end of John the Baptist. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus... So why did we read through all of that? Because of verse 13 and the verses that follow. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship unto the palace 
and rallied all of his disciples together and screamed at the sky and protested with signs and held a die-in where they all laid around and then contacted mainstream... Wait a second. Oh, this is the SJW translation. There's a King James Version. All right, here we go. Matthew, Matthew. You got to watch out what version you're reading of the Bible. You really do. Oh, here we go. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Wait a second. It seems like there's a disconnect here between what one might be inclined to think should have happened and what actually went on. What's going on here? Why didn't Jesus go and call down fire and destruction for the death of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was a prophet and more than a prophet. He was a man like none other by Jesus' own testimony. Why didn't Jesus revenge his death? Because a lot of times what our flesh screams out ought to happen isn't what happened. And here's a, here's a, here is a truth in this. The ministry does not stop because of a personal catastrophe. What did Jesus do? John had already been slain. There was nothing. What was he going to do? Go to Jerusalem or, or, and, and, and break into the palace and steal John's head and stick it back on his body and call him back to life? John died for a couple of reasons. One was, yes, because he was betrayed and, you know, by, the, frankly, by the country that he was part of. And yes, because, you know, wickedness and sin and people uh, demanding his life and all of that. But really, the real reason that John died was because it was his time to die. Because God is master over everything. And if God was not willing that John should have died when he did, then he would have prevented it. I'm not saying that it pleased God that he died or that he died the way that he died, but what a way to go. He had been jailed for standing up to wickedness in high places and saying, you're wrong for what you're doing. He was in prison because he told the truth and he did so without fear. And then ultimately, he had his life taken from him because he told the truth without fear. It didn't matter that Herod was the king or the tetrarch under the throne of Rome. It didn't matter that he was a powerful man that had the power of life and death in his own hands. It didn't matter that his... Uh, that his uh, shack-in-law, if you will, his lover on the side, this adulterous affair that he was involved in, had a daughter uh, that was corrupt and that she herself was corrupt and that Herod himself was corrupt. None of that mattered. What mattered was that John died, yes, but he died a martyr's death. And that brought to, that brought to a fitting and a good conclusion, a glorious life, and a glorious ministry. Because now, John being no longer alive, Jesus' ministry 
was now that I don't want to use the word hindered because John's ministry did not hinder Jesus's ministry. John's ministry paved the way for Jesus's ministry. But the way that it all had to work out, and we talked about this earlier in our red letter teachings, was that John's ministry had to fade and move out of the way in order for Jesus's to come to complete fruition. And now that was finally coming to pass. Now, Jesus wasn't happy about John's death. Jesus was not happy about John's death, but it was simply the next thing that happened all in the in the order of God's grand plan. And so in verse 13, we read about what Jesus did. Jesus heard of it, and I'm sure it smote his heart, and I'm sure that he knew it anyway. He heard it and he departed into a ship into a desert place apart. In other words, he got alone with God. Because sometimes that's the only thing that you can do. A child is sick or a child dies. And the only thing that you can do is go get alone somewhere with God. A relative is afflicted with something and is sick and is in terrible pain. And you don't have the ability to go fix it. Because you're human and you're limited. And in the face of of infinity and eternity, you are weak and all of that. Yes, I understand. But God is your strength. But still, us without God, we can't do a crying thing, right? And so sometimes all you can do is just go find a place to pray and get alone with God and talk to God about the problem and do your best to lay it at the feet of the cross and leave it in God's hands and demonstrate your trust in Him. And then when, you, when you've done, sometimes that involves tears and crying and falling apart before God for a little while. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. And then once it's done and God helps you get yourself put back together again, and then you, you know, suck the snot back up into your nose, and you wipe, you go wash your face, and you get your clothes back on, put your sackcloth away, clean the dirt off of your head like they did when they were grieving or mourning in the Old Testament. And you put on your best clothes, and you stride back out into the world, and you do what has to be done. Now, what's the lesson there? It's a lesson in adulthood and responsibility. And focusing on the things that you can do and leaving in, God hand, leaving in God's hands the things that you cannot. Does that make sense? I can only do this. I can't do this. But I can pray about this. And I can leave this with God. And then I can trust and I can believe. And in the meantime, life has its demands and those demands don't stop. And those demands are, in Jesus' case, the ministry. And in our case, our lives for God. Living for God and doing what needs to be done. Jesus went forth. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. But the people wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> and that's a fact too. That's a fact too. And I'm sure that he had some time. He had his time. He had the time that he needed. And the people sought him out. They heard thereof. They followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth. So what did Jesus do? Jesus answered the phone and yelled at him and said, I don't have time for you. Don't you know I need to be ministered unto myself? Leave me alone. My goodness, no, Jesus didn't do that. He answered the need that was there. He didn't send them home. Jesus went forth and saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. What's the lesson there? Well, we've covered it pretty much. The lesson is that life goes on and that 
our responsibilities are still our responsibilities, whatever they are, whether it's running a company, whether it's just going off to the day job and earning the living to provide for the family, whether it's uh, being a part of the ministry or the things that are going on at the church, the things that are needful. That's not to say that, you know, you get stricken with cancer or something that you're still going to, you know, oh no, I've still got it. Well, you may to an extent, but you know, there's, there's a point where, where a person is simply physically incapable. But it takes a lot to get to that point. Jesus had suffered the loss of a dear friend. And even though they did not work together in the ministry, they didn't work together in the ministry. Weren't they still fellow laborers for the same cause? Indeed, they were. Their ministries didn't really touch much. They overlapped a little bit. But it's not like they were pioneering churches throughout Israel. That really wasn't what they were. That wasn't what their particular work was. But he'd suffered the loss of John the Baptist. And what did he do? He got alone with God. He prayed and then he got back into the mix. He got back into the fight. He got back to work and did what needed done. There's not a lot of Jesus' teachings in chapter 14. It picks up again in chapter 15 and there's more to come after that. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.